Today, two incredible things happened. I was named as one of 133 women who changed the world on the Diverse In 2023 list. And I am absolutely elated. I'm not going to be afraid to say I'm very proud of myself. I was shocked and surprised I didn't see it coming. In fact, I'd never even seen the list before. I was honoured, humbled to be listed alongside the many other women who are every day working to change the world and to feel recognised for the work that I'm doing. Talking about linguistic bias, accent bias, standing beside the diverse voices and accents that exist all around the world, supporting them and helping them push forwards in a world that has for too long silenced them. Falcha, welcome to Connected Communication, a podcast exploring the intriguing interplay between language, culture and the brain through the lens of self-awareness. I'm your host, Christine. The second thing that happened was that I rose my knee up towards my chest to put my sock on without assistance, without having to push myself backwards and use my hands to lift my knee. For the first time in about, I think, six or eight months. Now you might be thinking, (laughs) why are you telling us that? That's a very random piece of information. Tis, fair enough. But I'm telling you, because both pieces of information, for me, carry equal weight. As strange as that might sound. Both are an achievement that make me be able to stand stronger in my body. Both are Related to a sense of freedom that I feel. One is the freedom in using my voice, not being afraid to stand up and say the things I feel are right to be said. Even if it means that some organisations won't want to work with me, because I'm saying things they're maybe not ready for. And the freedom to move, (laughs) to move my body, to be flexible again, to have strength in an area that I haven't had strength since after walking the Camino de Santiago last year. I was five days in. On five days in, you've done mm, the guts of a hundred kilometres or so, if you average out at about 25 a day. And this is, for anybody who's listening, the Camino de Santiago across the north of Spain, a very old, very famous, historically spiritual pilgrimage, which priests did to Santiago de Compostela, where the Saint Santiago rests. It's now a pilgrimage, a sporting event, a holiday for a lot of people. They go for a variety of different reasons. I went to heal my heart and reconnect with people 
with my trust, with my sense of self. But on the fifth day, my bag broke. If anybody's hiked before, you can imagine a hiking bag. The bag I brought was about 10 kilos when I left. And I, thinking I'm a bionic superwoman, brought another bag with me, a smaller one, one of those, um, how do you pronounce it, Quechua? I think is the pronunciation. Anybody who's listening to this, feel free to send me a message on my social media and correct me if I'm wrong about the pronunciation there. It's one of those little bags from Decathlon, the very small, fantastic ones that cost about a fiver. So I had this on the front of my chest and on the back, I had my bigger bag carrying the weight of the world that I didn't need to take with me on the Camino. But before I left, my mind was still in quite a bit of trauma and I felt that I needed to take more than I did because this is one of those things that can happen when you don't fully feel safe. So I brought my bag, a brand new bag, needless to say. And after the fifth day, I had noticed in the middle of the day that I was feeling pain and just figured, right, okay, I've walked <laughs> way more kilometers than I've walked ever in a very short period. Oh, no, that's not true. I have done 100 kilometers before that. I've, but I've done them way more kilometers than I've ever done ever with this kind of weight on my back and up the Pyrenees, down some of the Pyrenees, back into the north of Spain and across. So it was altitudes that I hadn't hiked before as well. And my brand new bag, do I want to say the company so nobody ever buys hiking gear from them again? Maybe that's a bit cruel. I won't do that. Broke. It broke at the hip strap. So again, as I was saying there a moment ago, anybody who's hiked before, you've got this bag on your back, the hiking bag. And of course, we know as hikers, you have to clip the hip strap around you so that it holds the weight of the bag on your back and on your hips, so your shoulders aren't taking all the weight. And in the middle of this fifth day, I'm about, I've about 15, I think, kilometres left to go, and it was the first really long day, I think about 27 kilometres. It was 38 degrees, so hot. And the stretch, if you've ever walked the Camino, you'll know what I mean. The stretch of land is just long. And straight, I was on my way to um, Puente de Arena. Long, straight stretch in 30 odd degrees of heat in the middle of the day. And I'm thinking, oh, my right leg is really hurting me. Why is this so sore? And I'm shuffling the bag, shuffling the bag. But I didn't notice that it had broken. So I kept walking, I kept walking and I got to my hostel. That's not entirely true. I didn't get to the hostel yet, but I got to what I thought might be my hostel, but it was at the outskirts of the town. And inside my body, I heard the voice say, this is it, go in there. But my stubborn mind hadn't fully yet begun to trust my voice. Again, after years of not listening to it. And so I said, no. My Fitbit's on. I haven't walked the 27 kilometres. I said I was going to walk today. I'm going into town and I'll find my hostel there. So I trudged on into town across the, what felt it was kind of like a bridge, but there's nothing really underneath it. Past a hotel, 
saw the municipal hostel and thought, oh, okay, that's the municipal, it's the albergue, it's going to be the cheaper one, maybe I'll stay in there. And the night before I'd been in Pamplona and I stayed in the municipal, which is a massive, beautiful building built in an old monastery in the, the is it the claves, is that what they're called? The, the word won't come to me now. Absolutely stunning, but really hot with no, obviously no air conditioning and 200 people sleeping around you. So I hadn't slept. I saw the albergue in Puente Lorena. I felt the pain in my body. I felt the pain in my feet. And I thought, no, nah, I'm not staying in there amongst all those people without any aircon. I need aircon tonight. I know it's a first world problem. I know. So I sat down on a couple of steps, dropped my bag down and did what I swore I wouldn't do ever on the Camino. I looked at my phone and I looked at booking.com and I searched for aircon. And there it was. Hostel Jacques. Okay, I'm going there. That's it. I'm going there. Couldn't book it on booking.com, said it was sold out. Just decided that they probably held spaces for peregrinos or peregrina, given that I'm a woman, which a lot of places normally did. So I trust it and I go and I find the hostel. Which direction did I have to walk? Back out the direction I came. And anyone who knows anything about the Camino de Santiago knows you don't want to walk backwards when you're walking a 790 kilometre track. But backwards I walked, determined. And ultimately, where did I find? Yes, you guessed right. I found the very first place that I walked past that my body told me to stop at and go into. Mm. I learned my lesson that day. Stop ignoring your instincts. Heed your instincts, Christine. And I walked into this place. And as I walked in, I felt this misty spray all over my face. And I looked up to find these tiny little hose pipes in the roof of the archway that covered the entrance to the hostel, spraying out misty water onto my sweat-laden, overheated, swollen face. I stretched my hands out to a full garden of people and went, Oh, I'm in heaven. And everybody laughed. And then I went inside after I luckily got my room to what I can only describe as a Camino Palace. I honestly mean this. If you walk the Camino de Santiago, this is a place you must stay. And actually, if you want a, an accommodation route for your Camino, Find me on social media or my website and send me a message. I mapped all of the accommodation. I stayed in on Google so I can send you a link or you, I think you should be able to find it. It's public. So I go in to this beautiful space, all wooden wicker chairs and soft lighting, nice music on, air gone. I put my bag down. I look at my bag and I discover the strap has broken. So, a year later, or more than a year later now, I'm still suffering from that injury. Although I have done four months of acupuncture, 
and a couple of months of physio and a bit of osteo. I'm now back at another osteo. Still suffering from that injury that I did a little bit before the Camino, but then I obviously made worse from my broken bag on the Camino. So I shared that story because the achievement, the sense of freedom that I felt today after that osteo appointment, when she moved my leg up at the end of it, and then I sat down on the chair and I lifted my foot to put my sock on and just looked at her like I was a child in a playground. So excited that I had been able to lift my foot to put my sock on without any pain or, or any jarring, jamming, sticking of my leg lifting. The sense of achievement I felt in that moment was equal to the sense of achievement I felt when I received that incredible listing as one of the 133 women who's changing the world. The episode is called How to Use Your Voice to Tell a Story. The reason I've chosen to talk to you today about how to use your voice to tell a story, or one of the reasons, is because that listing reminded me how important it is to use our voices. And over a period of of time in the last number of years now, not the last three, two two or three years now, but two years. But before that, I let my voice silence a little bit. I say I let my voice silence a little bit. I won't go into the the philosophy behind that wording on this episode, but my voice got silenced. And I didn't speak out or put myself forwards on social media or with other people in the way that I had done seven years prior to that. I was more quiet than I ever thought I was ever going to be. And I've refound my vocal cords and I flex my vocal muscles quite often now in speaking out about things that I believe in. But there's a way to use our voices. Our voices are instruments. And in the next few weeks on the podcast, I'm going to share with you the art of Irish storytelling. I'll speak to you a bit about the history, myth and legend, how stories have been shared over the years, the meaning of stories to the Irish, and how we tell stories. So before I demonstrate to you or teach you how the Irish construct and tell stories over the next number of episodes. I figured it would be a good idea to teach you how to use your voice to do it. So obviously I can't go into how to use your voice to tell a story in the detail that I could go into it because I have been training in this since I was seven years of age with my mother. And up to the age of seven, and actually, in fact, up to the age of almost 40, I trained as a disciple of my grandfather, who was one of the best storytellers I've ever come across. The voice is an instrument. We can learn to play it just like we learn to play a game of basketball, a piano, a flute, a tin whistle, just like we learn to drive a car. It's an instrument. Like any instrument, notes are played. When we breathe, 
and we expel air. The air that comes out bounces off resonators in our throats, in our mouths, in our noses, and creates a vibration. That vibration is the sounds that we create. Those vibrations are musical. They come out in different beats with different rhythms, depending on the language that you speak, depending on how you articulate, and depending on how you feel. The voice is an instrument. The key aspects for vocal production, and this is for whether you're becoming a speaker or whether you want to be a better speaker. If you want better delivery, you want better impact, better semantics. I won't go into the semantics of the word better. If you want improved, clearer, more crisp, articulate, more impactful delivery, this is a snapshot of the learning and training that you can do. The key aspects are breathing, resonance, vocal projection, articulation, which has five aspects inside it, prosody. When we say prosody, we talk about how we break down speech for performance or for general vocal production. So how we speak something as a talk, how we speak something as a presentation, how we recite a poem, how we recite a piece of prose, they're all going to be different. Even how we use these techniques in general day-to-day conversation. And modulation. Modulation in the training that I have done is made up of six key aspects. Pitch, the pitch of your voice, pace, pause, power, inflection, and tone. Now, you might be listening to this thinking, oh, whatever, I don't care, I can't do that. I'm never going to be like those professional speakers that you hear. Uh, uh, Yes, Barack Obama sounds amazing, but it's not possible for me to sound like that. If you want to stick with that attitude and that mindset and don't bother doing the work, fine, it's not possible, don't listen. But if you're telling yourself that and you're willing to do the work to develop it, anything is possible. Breathing in resonance and projection and articulation, I'm not going to go into now. I'll give a very brief summary. When you breathe, pay attention to where your shoulders are. If you breathe in and your shoulders lift up, your, the bones underneath your neck, your clavicle bones, if they lift up, you're going to pinch your breathing apparatus. So the airflow is going to be blocked. And this is going to be the result. Your voice will sound a bit like this. There's no way for you to pull in enough air for you to be able to control the sounds that come out of your mouth. So when you breathe, focus on expanding out your belly, pushing out your abdominal wall, letting your lungs fill up with air and your ribs expand. And over time, practice on controlling the outflow of your breath. So you don't want this air just coming out very quickly like that. What you want is a nice, measured, controlled release of your breath. And that takes practice over time. I do actually have a free uh, warm-up for your voice, which includes some practice breaths that you can use. So if you do want to get a copy of that, send me an email or send me a message or find me on social media and I can send it to you. I don't think I made it public on my website. So breathing. 
breathing then and resonance. Very, very briefly, I mentioned already, when the air comes out of your mouth, but before it comes out of your mouth, it has to come up from inside your body. It comes up through your throat and the airflow bounces off the different resonators in the cavities, in those holes or those orifices. So the hole in your throat, it's bouncing in your throat. It's vibrating through your vocal cords. It's bouncing in your mouth. The wider you open your mouth, the more the sound bounces around. You can hear that as I open my mouth very wide. And your nasal passages as well. So what I've done right now is closed my nasal passages and tightened my soft palate at the back of my throat. So I'm pinching the sound. I'm not letting it flow and bounce freely around the resonators. The resonance. Now that's a tiny aspect of resonance. There's, of course, energetic resonance as much as there is vocal resonance. And I have a couple of videos of that on the platform. And then we have vocal projection. This one I'm going to make a little comment on because it's one of the key things I work on with clients. In your interviews, in your meetings, in your presentations, if you go in and you speak like this and you hold your voice inside your body, and you don't let it out. You don't send the sound towards the people you are speaking to. What happens? How confident do you think people feel in your capacity, in your knowledge, in your expertise? Can you imagine if I spoke this to you and I said, so when you're practicing for your voice and to tell stories uh, using your voice in that magic way that the Irish do, then you need to make sure that you project your voice. You're not going to listen to me for very long, are you? But you hear the confidence that I have in myself coming from my voice. It's not just my voice. It's coming from my solar plexus. It's coming from the tone. It's coming from my belief, my understanding, my confidence in my knowledge and expertise in this area. I'm speaking off the cuff here. I'm looking at a couple of notes of the titles to jolt my memory because videoing yourself and recording on a microphone and speaking all at the same time do require a little bit of work on the brain. But everything I'm talking about is coming from my knowledge. So projection, focus on projection. A recent exercise I did with a client online was to get him to imagine that I was on the other end of a football pitch. And as he's speaking to me in that room, he needed to project his voice to me at the other end of the football pitch. Now, I'm not saying to shout. What I'm talking about here is for you to imagine that I'm there and you need to throw a ball towards me. You're bouncing that sound from within your body out and over down the football pitch without putting an undue pressure on your resonators. You don't want to hurt that throat. And articulation. There are a variety of different organs of articulation, some of which we use in some languages and we don't use in the others. So French is a good example here. There is that uh, France, okay, and French people, I'm not making a joke here. My sister lives in France and one of our baby girls in the family is half French. But that, that guttural, glottal, that you have in French, that that happens at the back of the throat. We don't use that kind of sound in English. So 
there are different articulators that are used across different languages. But understanding the organs of articulation helps us to understand where sounds need to be placed in the mouth so that they can be heard clearly. I had an argument recently, not an argument, a discussion on comments on LinkedIn recently with a a lady whom I respect very much in the work that she does about the importance of articulation to speech. And our discussion was about what I said being that the articulators and the five aspects of articulation are important when we speak. And her argument was once you can stress and you understand rhythm and stress that the articulators and those aspects of articulation that I mentioned aren't important, which I disagree on very wholeheartedly. For instance, if Malay is your first language and you're not used to vocalising certain sounds or you are too aspirate on other sounds, you might sound sharp when you speak. Or when you speak, you might lose the ends of words and you might sound too sharp on the ends of others. And when that happens, it affects the ear of the listener. Even if the listener is used to you hearing your accent and hearing your voice, they're still at times not going to be able to follow what's being said. The articulation is important. But to tell stories, it's prosody and modulation that hold the key to the magic chest. Picture a block of text. There are no full stops. There are no commas. There are only chunks of words. So what we want to find is the blocks or groups of words inside that packet of text, that paragraph that we see, or even let's make it smaller, a sentence. The words that go together, that make sense together. For instance, if I say fish and I'm guessing you thought chips, bread and butter. They're binomials, so they're chunks of text which go together. If I say news, paper, you know probably the paper is coming after news when my voice goes up like that. So we look for what we call tonic groups or thought groups of words. And then inside them we want to find the relevant stresses. So that's the first thing that we do is we block a text for speech, for speaking. To help us understand how to find the rhythm inside. We look then for the top of the mountain, the peak sound in that block of text, and then the lower peaks underneath it, the smaller sounds, the top stress, and then the less stressed items. Just like you heard me say the top sound, top, top, and the less stressed items. Bum, bum, bum. Bump, 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 and we go all the way down. And that bump, 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 bump brings us into modulation. And the facets of modulation, all used together, form the gel that pulls into shape the imagery created by words. When I introduce a new piece of information, you'll notice that my pitch goes up. My voice gets a little bit higher. If it's really important, if it's really important, I might push in it a little bit, make it faster, create a sense of urgency coming from my voice. Emotion will connect in here. If I have a sentence that has text in commas, 
in the middle of it or in parenthesis, in brackets. That indicates a change of thought or additional information that's not necessarily necessary to the sentence, but I'm speaking it anyway. What happens there is my voice drops. I was walking along the canal yesterday. It was cold. And I saw three men huddled up together in a corner. When did I drop my voice? When I said it was cold. The it was cold wasn't necessary information, but it added a little bit of a sense of feeling to the air. And what happened with my pace? Well, pace is often misunderstood to just be how fast or slowly we speak. But pace is so much more. Pace indicates our emotion. It indicates our stress level. It indicates how confident we feel or how lacking in confidence we might in confidence we might be. It allows us to be more persuasive. It allows us to be adaptable. So if I'm really excited, you might hear me speak a little faster. Or if I'm really nervous and I really want to get through things very quickly. Or if I've got some sad, unfortunate news I need to deliver. You'll hear my pace get slower. But I'm also stretching and softening, or stretching and shortening, the pace inside the words that I use. Lengthening and shortening some of those sounds to add a, a deeper aspect of emotion to it. And then we have pause. Now I have a couple of episodes in the podcast on pace and pause and on power, which I'll talk about next. So I'm not going to go into detail on this here. One of the masters of pause is Barack Obama. And he does exactly what I just did. He pauses just after he said something, holding the audience in suspense until he drops the next piece of information. And that's linked with power. Power is our quality of tone. Power brings control into our speech. It helps us to build to climax when we use it with pitch. When we combine it with pitch and pace, then on words and syllables, we allow for artistic interpretation, artistic expression. And in the Power episode, you'll hear me share about Martin Luther King, who used the law of suspense and conclusion. Suspense build up, 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 up to a climax and drop back down. Building power, building power, building power, all the way up until the final piece of information was dropped. And the last two we have are inflection and tone. Inflection and tone for me are the cream that goes into an Irish vegetable soup just after it's cooled down enough to be able to eat. So you don't curdle the cream. It stays fine. But it gives it that richness of flavour. That's inflection and tone. Inflection often misunderstood to be intonation, is actually the upward and downward glide of the voice. We can use inflection to show our emotional intensity. And that will be the degree of the slide in our voices. We have a single inflection, oh. We have a double inflection, oh. And we have a compound triple inflection. I saw you with her last night. What were you doing? You saw me. Oh. Triple inflection. 
just one sound, but a triple movement of the voice that indicates so much when we know how to hear it. And tone. Tone gives us colour. Tone is what conveys emotion. It's mental. You've got to feel what you're saying. We often hear, uh, in Ireland anyway, don't look at me in that tone of voice. When a woman looks at you and she's got a tone of voice on her face that tells you exactly how she feels. You know when you're in trouble. If the eyes are shaped and slit in a certain way. If there's a line across the mouth and a pinch in the cheeks that show tension. Like the jaw is being clenched together so that fierce words will not come out of it. With tone, the resonators have to change shape. So, if I didn't have a passion for what I was talking about now, this is what you'd hear. If I didn't have a passion for what I was talking about now, this is what you would hear. I'm still using pitch, I'm still using pace, and still using pause and power and, and some inflection in my voice, but the tone demonstrates to you that I'm not interested, eh? Now, not everybody is able to recognise the meaning behind tone, and again, this depends across languages, but a couple of things you can do to practise this and play with it a little bit is just to take some standard phrases. So, take things like, Oh, I love you. And say it like you're angry. I love you. I love you. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I love you. Uh, so you're just demonstrating different emotions there simply by using the tone of your voice. And other phrases you can use. Oh, like I said before. Yes. Ah. I hate you. Although... If you are struggling with mindset, avoid the I hate you one. Give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. Will you do it? If you want to take it further, you can use some phrases that you might normally use for work. May I interrupt you for a moment? May I interrupt you? May I interrupt you? And just bring in the different emotions and tone to that. There are any number of exercises that you can do for this. So let's bring all of them together. I'll close the episode with sharing one more, I'll try to keep it brief, <laughs> story of an experience of meeting somebody on the Camino de Santiago who helped me to move from my head back into my heart. His name is Jan and I hope he doesn't mind me naming him on the podcast. Jan, I hope you don't mind me naming you. He's a fabulously joyous, wonderful German man who, whom I met. I can't remember the time that I met him in and he'll probably remember and admonish me for not remembering. But I'd see him almost every day in the morning, leaving the town that we'd stayed in and then in the first town that we'd all stop in for coffee because even though you walked alone, We'd all end up in the same place and have coffee together. But I didn't really have coffee with people at the beginning. I kept myself to myself. But every day he'd say hello or he'd chat a little bit. 
And then one day we sat down and I had it. He offered me a coffee. And we were inside the bar, the coffee shop. And they're, they're all kind of little bars slash coffee shops at the counter. And I'd ordered a bocadillo, which is a piece of baguette or some sort of bread with meat or cheese or something like that, usually done with olive oil and some salt. I'd ordered my bocadillo and my coffee. And I was waiting for my bocadillo to be made and brought over to the counter to me and to pay. And he said, I'll pay for it. And looked up, you know, because he's six foot odd and I'm a mere five foot seven compared to his six foot. Well, you don't need to do that. I know I don't need to do it. I want to do it. And I can. So just let me. Okay. So I let him. And then we ate the bocadillo and had the coffee and went on a better day in our business. And a couple of days later, this, this sort of continued on. And I was still resisting and resisting. I'd say hello when I was being nice, but inside my body wasn't ready yet. My mind wasn't ready yet to share and open up. And I still had that little bit of fear of, ah, oh, he's going to want something off me or, you know, I'm crazy. But this is what was learned uh, over the, the past number of years. And then we got to a place called Astorga. I think I landed first that day or else I landed and I was so overcome and tired when I landed that the only thing that I wanted to do was to sit down somewhere and have a drink. So I found an Irish bar. There was somebody at the Irish bar already. Or maybe it was him. He was there already and he'd landed before me. Can't exactly remember. But anyway, I found for the first time Bulmers or Magners in Spain, which is an apple cider drink that I, I would drink. Sure, I was delighted with myself. Went into the Irish bar. Yes, I will have a bottle of that. Thank you very much. Went outside, sat down. And we started chatting. And an hour later, we were still chatting. And a few people had joined the table and then a few people left the table. And an hour later, we were still chatting. And suddenly from somewhere, inside I was ready. And I started to share my story the experience that I had had over the years before and the reason why I was on the Camino. And in sharing the story, he got to learn why I had been so resistant to connecting, to making friends and to trusting. But he just listened and heard my story. He didn't judge it. He didn't comment on it. Thanked me for sharing it. And then I went and checked into my hostel. And it turned out that we were in the same room in the hostel and our beds were across from each other by no organised fact whatsoever. But that's the way the albergues go. And over the next few days and for the remainder of the trip, I continued to develop in my trust in myself again, in sharing myself and my story, in connecting with other people and I went on to walk a 40 kilometre day with him and another two wonderful men called Jorge and George to Leon. 
that we hadn't planned to walk, but we decided on the first cafe stop. And when we reached Santiago, I retrieved from my bag the one final stone that I had left because I took, although you'll think I'm crazy listeners, and maybe that's part of why my bag broke, with me a kilo of crystals or stones on the Camino. And the reason I took them with me was to leave them as I walked my Camino and, and healed my heart and my head. And that I did. I walked and I left my stones, firstly in sorrow and then in joy and love as I went along. And on the last day, when we arrived in Santiago, I gave Jan my Amazonite, which is a beautiful lime green stone. It's not always lime green, but the one that I had was, that I had carried with me throughout the entire walk for strength, for my resilience, for energy. And I gave it to him in friendship. And I believe it walked the Portuguese Camino with him this year as well. In telling that story, I didn't intentionally focus on how I modulated my voice, because if I had focused and paid attention to how I modulated my voice, I wouldn't have been able to use the modulation facets in the way that I'm trained to use them. What I ask you to do, if you're interested in doing it, is to listen back to how I told the story. Pay attention for the modulation techniques that I used. Listen for pause. Listen for how I rose the pitch of my voice and pulled it back. Try to notice and pay attention to the changes in the emotion. When do you know I'm feeling a connection? When do you know I'm feeling love? When do you know I'm feeling power? When did you know that I was feeling a little bit of weakness or vulnerability? And bring those techniques with you into your next conversation, into your bedroom in front of the mirror, if you'd prefer to practice alone. Record yourself telling little stories. And over the next few weeks, as you come on this journey with me into the realm of Irish storytelling, learn how to put together a colourful, emotional, vibrant Irish story that connects with the head and the heart stirs the emotions, brings you on a journey and allows you to see inside the mind and the heart and the emotions of the speaker so that you can connect with them on a level that their friends connect with, their family connects with, even if you've never ever met them. This episode is dedicated to you, Jan. Dankeschön. Thank you, gracias, I'm so grateful to you for pushing me gently, never too much, and encouraging me to be able to trust again. Listeners, thank you for listening. I did not achieve my goal of this being only 30 minutes, so I'm going to have to listen back to it and see how I might be able to cut it. Or maybe I'll just leave it at the 40, 45 minutes that it is. Feel free, as always, to connect with me. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, any feedback, or you'd like to send me a story, I'd be only too delighted 
to receive it. If you've enjoyed the episode, if you've learned something and you want to take this further, check the link in the show notes, connectedcommunication.club. It is open for business. I am building membership. I want at least 100 members in it. Then I might close it for a while and see how we get on. I want to change the world of communication. One story at a time. Like it, share it, review it, and send me feedback. Until next time. Banakti. August Puekas.